the way the dog trots out the front door every morning without a hat or an umbrella or the keys to her dog house never fails to fill the saucer of my heart with milky admiration. Off she goes into the material world with nothing but her brown coat and a modest blue collar, following only her nose, the twin portals of her steady breathing. This Billy Collins dog is living the summer dream. It's an enviable vision of utter simplicity, to be so unencumbered of the stuff and concerns we seem to acquire in life. The material world is so very much with us, but oh, to walk in the world so free and lighthearted. I saw a human version of this vision one summer evening while driving the back roads west of Cambridge off Route 2. I was out in transcendentalist country out by Concord and Lincoln and a woman was crossing the road from Walden Pond barefoot with nothing but a towel around her wet bathing suit and a set of keys dangling from her hand as she headed for the parking lot. She had been swimming in the shadow of that native son of simplicity, Henry David Thoreau, nature writer and essayist, who lived for a while in his curtainless hut with a single plate a single spoon. She seemed to me to be drenched in the physical and spiritual experience of life without encumbrance. Like Billy Collins observing his carefree dog, I felt my heart fill with admiration for her apparent ease. Watching her languid stride, I was struck by the contrast with another vision I've had in the summertime. The setting, it's a beach parking lot, and from the back of a big SUV, a couple load their gear into two wagons, the kind with the extra plump wheels so they can roll across the sand. They pile in folding chairs and a striped umbrella, a big blue and white igloo um, cooler, a boogie board, a paddle game, a bulging canvas tote spilling colorful towels. She's on the phone. He's got his iPod plugged in, and they are off to a relaxing day at the beach. Now, I get it. I've done it. We think about a long day at the beach or the park, and we plan ahead, right? We might get hungry. We're definitely going to be thirsty. We might tire of reading or swimming or get bored watching the endless waves and the play of light on surfaces, or the way the sand moves between our toes as we, see, as we stand at the water's edge, need some stuff with us. It feels important, safe even, to have all of it there to protect us. Because even if the world of nature isn't boring, it might be dangerous. Now, you may not perceive the world as dangerous, so I'm apologizing right up front for raising any anxiety you didn't already have. But really, life outside does feel a little more precarious these days. We read about it all the time. There's tick-borne Lyme disease. There's West, viral virus, West Nile virus from mosquitoes, skin cancer from too much exposure to the sun. 
But whatever it is, we seem to be living in an age of anxiety, of worry about things and a future that seems out of our control. We worry about the next terrorist attack when it might come. We worry about job security, our health, our children. We worry about antibiotic-resistant bacteria and the safety of our water supply, and of course, the devastating changes in our Earth's climate. But you know, we're not unique in this cultural anxiety and nervousness. Just a cursory inventory over a sweep of history would reveal virtually every age saw itself as the age of anxiety. And with good reason, right? Wars, enemies at the gate, plagues, economic and natural disasters. So if we rewind to the first century, we can read in the Christian Bible that Jesus addressed the concerns of a crowd of people gathered to hear him speak. This itinerant rabbi who had been teaching and healing throughout the area stood in a natural amphitheater above the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by gentle hills blooming in wildflowers. And then amid a long discourse on ethical living, Jesus spoke to the crowd's state of anxiety during a time when their country was occupied by a foreign power. Here's what he said. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? These are Jesus' questions. Well, yes, I suppose it is Jesus. This is the answer in my head to him. And yet I know that I think about these things every day. In fact, I worry about them. Perhaps anticipating my response so many years later, Jesus continues. After telling us not to worry about our lives, what we'll eat or drink, what we'll wear, he asks this question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? No, we can't. Not to our lives or to the lives of those we love and worry about. In fact, we all know that stress of any kind is detrimental to our health, right? Worry causes increased blood pressure. Our breathing becomes shallow with worry, sending less oxygen to all of our cells, including our brain cells, which makes thinking clearly about a dilemma more difficult. No, worry cannot add a single hour to our span of life. But how can we stop worrying in a world which has us feel so often like we're in jeopardy? Well, here's a possible antidote a languid summer spiritual practice to curb our anxieties, to heal our worrying hearts. Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these, said Jesus. 
Well, to consider something is to take one's time to notice, to focus, to see clearly what is right in front of you, to apprehend it for what it is as it is, whether it's beauty or brokenness, to consider it, to allow what is to enter your conscious awareness and to embrace it, to get curious about it without judging it. So it's summer and flowers are blooming along the river and in the gardens and parks of Cambridge. I know you're busy even though it's summer, but this week, before it's out, try to make some time to pause, to stop, to bend over and consider a flower. Notice just one out-of-place blossom that we call a weed, the tiny, perfectly formed petals radiating from a central point, pushing its way through the cracks between the bricks. Or stand in a grassy area or a garden, if you're lucky to have one. Listen to the sounds beneath the traffic. Feel the buzz of bees and the whisper of butterflies that animate the air. And be amazed. Be amazed by this world, for the things which come to us as gifts of being from sources beyond ourselves. To consider nature, friends, is to open the gate to gratitude for that which we plant but cannot actually grow. Such contemplation is a way to cultivate a sense of reverence for this fragile, impermanent world that we love and live in. When we feel suffused by gratitude, by reverence or awe, in just this moment, in just this breath, it turns out there's very little room for worry. Then, when worry scuttles back into your heart, as it's going to do, you're going to have something to measure it against, something to compare it to. Because if we spend conscious time cultivating gratitude and reverence, we actually build a supply of it, a reserve of it. We increase our familiarity with it. And nourishing a stronger capacity for gratitude and awe gives us the strength to choose which mood will suffuse our attitude? Will it be worry or wonder? Anxiety or astonishment? You know, there are so many external forces that work on cultivating anxiety in ourselves and in our culture, right? The 24-hour news cycle, they are in the business of capturing your attention and holding it while feeding your anxiety. But if we're in a habitual, persistent state of anxiety, we start to contract. Right? You can almost feel it in your body. The mind thinks obsessively about ourselves and our safety. Are our needs going to be met? This fear of scarcity and a need for security causes us to pull in, to isolate, to grab and hold on and say, yeah, I've got mine. 
and I actually probably don't need to spend a lot of time expanding on the consequences of what this mindset is doing, what its withering effects are, are on our democracy, on our ability to understand one another, on our communities, on our relationships. So instead of watching the news this week, I promise you, if something important happens, you'll hear about it. Consider the lilies. But Jesus wasn't just saying, relax, be happy, don't worry. He was actually preaching a message of radical resistance to a mindset, to a culture of anxiety and scarcity. Radical resistance to that message. He was preaching a message that was urging simplicity. He was encouraging his listeners to adjust their focus from being overly concerned about getting theirs and considering, considering what kind of world we might create if we were living in right relationship with the earth and one another. Still you worry about something, don't you? And with good reason. I know I do. And I've decided that worry is not only bad for us. For one thing, some degree of worry is just normal. So I don't want anyone leaving here thinking, I'm now worried about how worried I am. Everyone experiences a degree of anxiety before taking a test or speaking in public or going for an interview. Any situation which by its nature will subject us to evaluation of being judged or graded, right? So it turns out, fortunately for us, that a little bit of anxiety can fire up your nervous system just enough to help you perform well in a challenging situation. That's the good news. But when deep anxiety or strong worry kicks in, that's when the heart or the stomach start to clench. So take that as a signal. It's a time for you to pause and to notice what's happening in your body, right? And look around to the world, just three feet around you. Just start to notice just what's right in front of you. In that pausing, I've come to discover we can begin to welcome worry as a spiritual teacher. Consider worry as an opening for your soul, a cue that it's time to shift your focus of how you view the world and understand what's happening in it. It's a call to examine your priorities and choose what you will place your faith in. Worry is like a big yellow highlighter to the narrative of your life, okay? It's highlighting your spirit, it's a highlight to your spirit saying, pay attention to what is of deepest concern to you. What you care about so very much. Now this may seem obvious, right, as I'm saying it out loud. You may be worried about your kids, about your health, about the planet burning up, about how you're gonna pay the bills. But by considering worry more openly, 
by examining the care and love that's at the root of your worry, we begin to see what's truly important to you. What is of central concern? How much you love your children. How much your health means to you. That you care deeply about the planet. That we're concerned about how we're going to provide a healthy life for ourselves and our families. It's a seemingly simple yet profound shift. It's away from, I'm so worried, to, I hold these things in my heart with care and concern. This is not merely a vocabulary exercise. An altered attitude moves our attention from orienting ourselves to a future which seems out of control to embracing what is in this moment. When we relinquish future worry and embrace present care, instead of spiraling down into helplessness of what we can't do about that future, we can begin to work on our highest priorities. Now remember, worry depletes energy. It causes things to shrink and it generates fear. The shift from worry to considering what we care about can actually motivate us to move outward, to get creative, generative. Whether that means finally devising a retirement plan or reaching out to find others who can work with us to solve a personal persistent problem or one that's in our community, working together. When Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear, he's not suggesting that we should walk around being optimistic and delusional, okay? We are not enjoined from worry because life will always work out as we had hoped. It hasn't. It doesn't. It won't. Things will go wrong. Sometimes terribly, even tragically. But we are not left comfortless, friends. You see, we are challenged not to worry so that we can reclaim the mental and spiritual space for shifting our focus from the small, dark place of fear and scarcity to a vision that reveals the unmerited gift of life that can be lived with an open heart, wide open to wonder and gratitude and love with a capital L. From a spiritual point of view, I believe that worry is an invitation not only to shift our perspective, but to examine our lives, our values, our priorities, and our faith. Faith in oneself, faith in friends and family and community, Faith in something larger than ourselves. It's an opportunity to consider 
the profound mystery that is the source of limitless love. Now, it is our blessedly human work to notice what we worry about and what our attention is on. And if your balance of attention is weighted towards you and all that's not working for you right now, the wisdom advice of the ages is to lift up your vision, refocus your attention, spend some more time noticing and marveling at the world just three feet around you. Cultivate the wonder you once experienced as a child lying in the summer grass watching ants move pieces of food larger than their whole bodies. Appreciate the magnificence of a weed pushing through the sidewalk until you feel strengthened by the gratitude for what else is abundant in your life. Your breath, the heart beats without your instructing it. The day that dawned which we did not create, the moon and evening which we did not make. This practice is like tapping into a natural spring of gratitude, courage, and persistence that just may help you shed the load you're bearing so that you can move more lightly in the world. Growing a spirit of gratitude will expand us, expand our ability to be in relationship. And soon enough, we will learn that it's not our stuff that will protect us or make us happy or help free us from anxiety and danger. It's our relationships that will do that. It's the one single trait that's common among all happy people. Did you know that? Strong relationships. So this morning... Let us be grateful for the unmerited gift of being able to gather in peace here in a community where we can practice being human in relationship with one another. So as we go sauntering through the dog days of summer, let's remember to consider the lilies and how they grow. Remember Billy Collins' carefree, self-contained dog and Trot out the door some morning, unencumbered by stuff and worry. Follow your breath and your eyes and your hearts to a place of reverence. And may the saucers of your hearts be filled with gratitude and joy and delight. Amen.